0: It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN.
1: morning welcome to the great Outdoors show this is charlie potter your host and i am calling you indeed on a remote location i'm calling you from alaska not in the studio this morning so i'm calling in and hope the line holds up i'm about to head out for some days in the wilderness having just returned from a few days in the wilderness i'm going back out And we'll have a much, much bigger report for you next week. But Alaska is a land. I'm sure many of you who have been there are going to start nodding your heads when I start talking about its glory. And for those of you who haven't been there and it's on your bucket list, don't wait forever. Alaska is, is one of the greatest places on Earth as long as you're not expecting to have nice weather. Because the weather in Alaska is terrible, or it can be terrible. I've had the pleasure of going to Alaska, not annually, but pretty close to it for 32 consecutive years. I have seen some of the worst weather known to mankind and I have seen some of the most beautiful days and the in-between stuff is okay too. So as I prepare to head back out, I thought I would just take a moment to talk about what it takes to, to really go into, into the into the bush, as they call it in Alaska, where you're going to be off the grid. You have a sat phone, a satellite phone. That's your only connection to the world. And it made me think of 32 years ago when I first went to Alaska. I ended up in the Arctic. I flew from a place called Bettles, which is I flew to from a place called Anchorage, which I had driven to for excuse me, I flew to from Fairbanks on a little two seater with my wife. And um, which is where we had driven from Anchorage to go up to the Arctic Circle to land a float plane at a lake, which is the headwaters of the Kobuk River, where we were going to paddle a canoe for 10 days from the headwaters of the Kobuk River all the way to the sea, out of the Arctic Circle, all through the Brooks Range. the sea. A a trip that now you're thinking 32 years ago, we didn't have any of the things we have today. There were not satellite phones, uh no GPSs. And when you left the grid, you left the grid. So we landed in Bettles, and Bettles is a little dirt strip. Uh the plane buzzed the strip to make sure that there weren't any caribou on it when we came in, and then we landed and next thing you know we transfer from that little puddle plane over to a float plane, and we go off, and we spent, well, 10 days having the worst weather I, I have ever experienced anywhere. The weather was so bad that at times we had to get off the river, and the Kobach River is, uh, is a pristine, it's not a whitewater river, uh, but there are some rapids. Uh, it's, how wide am I going to describe it for you? It can be anywhere from 50 yards to 150 yards, 200 yards wide. Of course, it's filled with fish. But the storms were so bad that we had to, we were being blown backwards up the river and, and the waves with the wind blowing against the current were, were three foot rollers. And if you, if you go overboard in, in a river in Alaska, that's the last time you're ever, you're ever going overboard because you're not, you're not going to make it. So I was thinking about that as I prepared for this trip and all the experiences I've had in Alaska. I've flown into over glaciers. I've, I've had some of the most epic flights I've, I'll, I'll ever have in bush planes, some of them in perilous weather and some of them in the, in just the kind of weather that you can't believe exists in the world. I, a couple of years ago, talked about a steelhead trip that I made with my son who was 16 at the time into out of juneau up into the glaciers and over and the lakes the lakes had just opened the ice from the winter had just literally opened the day before we landed the float plane in the water was ah like 34 degrees and we caught steelhead not on every cast but we caught so many steelhead and i fished in, in places where i fished for days and never hooked a steelhead and and we caught we hooked Landed one day, 22, 21 steelhead and probably lost another 10 or 15. Just, just remarkable. So as I sit here in Anchorage, ready to push off, a couple of things are going on. Of course, it's, it's very dark here. It's the middle of the night. It's really windy and I'm hopeful we can get out because we're flying in a little plane from Anchorage. Several hundred miles out into the uh, Alaskan Peninsula to a place called Lava Creek Lodge, which is a small camp in in one of the most remote areas of Alaska. As I said, we'll have a sat phone when we get there. But beyond that, there'll be no communication with the world for a week, which is in a way wonderful. So think about this. No email, no cell phone, no one to bother you. (laughs) And if there's something going on in the world, we're not going to know about it. It's been it's been a while since I've been off the grid. COVID didn't let you do that. Uh, and it will be quite different. There'll be eight of us, all of us, accustomed to being as you are, on email, on the phone, being bombarded. And for a week, it's a good book. Maybe cards, fish, maybe a duck or two. But the key is getting there. And as I sit here talking to you this morning, the wind's blowing a good 60. And it's a it's a real question as to whether or not we're even going to be able to get out today. I've been weathered into camps before. I've never been weathered into Anchorage, so I couldn't get to a camp. And one of the fun things about Alaska is there is really no schedule because you never know what the weather is going to do. Now, if you're on a cruise ship or something like that, doesn't matter what the weather is. Those big ships are, are, on, are unaffected by anything. You're going. But if you're doing what most of us do in Alaska, and that is you have to fly from point A to B, and then once you're at B, you're often flying out in little float planes to remote rivers or lakes. It's all about the weather. And I learned a long time ago in Alaska, you never want to go to a place where your only ability to fish or hunt, whatever you're doing, is to get on a float plane because you can be socked in for days with wind or rain. It does it for snow. You always want to be, and this is, so this is advice I've given to everyone who's ever asking about Alaska. You always want to be in a place if the weather's bad, you still have access to the things you want there to do by boat. And Lava Creek Lodge is, is as many of them are, is set up that way. Because 50% of the time you might not get out. So you read about a lot of these very fancy lodges and very expensive lodges, and they talk about all their float planes and all the places they can go. My advice to you is make sure that they have good fishing on their home water right there, because chances are at some point during your trip, you're not going to be able to go. And then of course the highlight of Alaska often is you're in one of these camps. In this case, I'm going to a tent camp, but you could be in a beautiful lodge as well. And it's time to leave to fly back to civilization and you can't do it. You're weathered in. And I've been weathered in for days. In fact, Um, it's hard to believe, but my wife and I were weathered in for three days with virtually no food on a glacier once because we couldn't get out. So the two things about Alaska, you may know when you're going, always plan to go at least a day ahead because if you're flying out, you could find out as I just did on this trip. I had to arrive in Anchorage, uh, in the morning instead of the afternoon because a big storm was blowing in and the only way to get out of Anchorage would be before three o'clock in the afternoon. You need flexibility on the way in and on the way out. You never quite know. You might be thinking you're leaving on a Sunday, but you may still be stuck on the Bering Sea on a Wednesday. It does happen. So if I'm not on the air next next Sunday, it's because I'm stuck on the Bering Sea longer than I wanted to be. I'll be back in just, well, actually, I shouldn't say longer than I wanted to be. It's It's a pretty remarkable place to be stuck. I'll be back in just a moment. With more on The Great Outdoors show. and When I do, I'm going to talk about the expanding range of mountain lions, which, yes, I, I fully believe we have lots of them here in the Midwest now, and also a little about steelhead and, and the drought and, and how uh, it's been a tough year. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and first a message from our longtime sponsors the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland. Chevrolet
0: dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, All for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best selling brand in Chicagoland now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720
1: WGN. Good morning. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, and I'm calling you from on location about to really be off location that is i'm calling in from anchorage alaska this morning about to head back out into the bush to go down to the bering sea i'll be back in the midwest in a beautiful chicago in a week if all goes well but as i said before the break i have actually experienced alaska where i've been in remote places and you can't get out for several days so if next sunday morning you don't hear me on the great outdoors show it's because i'm i'm off the grid stuck in weather somewhere in the Bering Sea. But, but don't worry, I will be catching hopefully silver salmon, Dolly Varden, rainbow trout. Maybe I'll get a crack at a ptarmigan or two. And and if things work out well, I'll have a shot. Maybe at some early uh, season ducks. Well, it's in Alaska, it's not early season. The season lard milk for several weeks. So I wouldn't be all terrible if I was stuck for a few extra days on the Bering Sea in Alaska. But that's where I'm headed when I hang up this phone. Well, not quite because it's still dark and, and early, and actually early in the night here in Anchorage. But very soon I'll be going back out and 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 extreme winds are forecast and weather. So uh, we'll see. But I wanted to just, and I'll have certainly much to tell you about my adventure next week uh, as I go back into an area where I've been several times. It's one of the most stunning, stunning mountain ranges along the Bering Sea. And when, and when you walk along the Bering Sea, you see two things. You see grizzly bear tracks the size of, oh, it seems like garbage cans are just enormous. And you still see the debris from the tsunami that wrecked Japan so many years ago. But moving on, I want to talk for a second about uh, cougars or mountain lions, as we call them. Uh, they are definitely on the move and they are expanding their range. I got a call from an individual I know well in Idaho. Uh in eastern Idaho who said you're not gonna believe this, we have cougar for the first time here in probably a hundred years. They've moved out of the mountains. We know they're cougar in Wisconsin and and in Illinois and and they're they're moving throughout the south. Uh I think mountain lions are here to stay. Uh it's 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 a wonderful way that nature has adapted and is reclaiming areas where they once were very plentiful. On the other hand, cougar or mountain lions, depending on what you want to call them, they're the same. Um, they are hard, very hard on wildlife, particularly they're hard on deer. We know that bears in Wisconsin are, are devastating on on fawns, deer fawns. Uh, we didn't when we know that now. It was that was not known a decade ago, uh, but we know that now. And cougar are not a lot better. In fact, what a cougar does is when it kills a deer, it actually hides it. It hides, covers it up with grass and and, and tries to hide it because it'll come back to that carcass day after day after day until it's all gone. So the thought that we have amongst us, well, one of the top predators in the food chain um, is, is exciting from the point of view that they've made such a recovery. And it's troubling from the point of view of, of there aren't any natural predators other than cars and, and their populations are likely to continue to grow. So it's one of those things that over time has taken over a hundred years, which is a long time. Think how many generations that is in the animal world. That's a hundred generations. Uh, for us, it's three, maybe four in the animal world. It's a hundred generations, but they're back amongst our midst and they're not going anywhere. The uh next thing I want to talk about before I sign off is steelhead and and what's happening um in the west, as we know we've had just terrible drought, steelhead slump could reach a record low, worrying fisheries managers across the west. Uh steelhead were one of the top um, top game fish and also food sources in prehistoric times when I say no excuse me not prehistoric in pre-settlement times and still we were very plentiful through the 1950s and then we built all these dams to provide electricity and irrigation water and we for better or for worse we changed the west forever or at least until the dams come out but I don't think the steelhead are coming back and a lot of the salmon so um we have the lowest number of steelhead passing the dams coming into Idaho uh, in, in the last 80 years. And we're down to a few hundred fish uh, in some cases. And it's costing tens of millions of dollars. The cost per fish to find a steelhead that runs from the ocean is the longest andronomous fish run in the world. To have a fish that runs from the ocean All the way 600 miles into Idaho, the cost per fish now is mind-boggling. There are only about 90,000 steelhead that are making the the run from there into their traditional streams and lakes in Idaho. That's out of what was probably tens of millions, and only out of that, about a thousand are wild fish. And the rest are fish that are hatchery fish. The row is taken out and the fish are raised and they're put in hatcheries and then they go downstream and they come back. So it is a serious situation. We know that, but it's made worse by the drought. And, and hopefully this winter, some of these rivers are replenished. Otherwise, we seriously could be on the very brink of seeing wild steelhead populations uh, go close to being extinct. And that's never happened since prehistoric times. Thanks for being with me. I hope you've enjoyed the show. This is Charlie Potter, and I will talk to you next week when I'm back from Alaska. And I'll definitely have a fish story or two. Thank you for listening to the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.